0: Hello, and welcome to the Signpost End Podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost In Podcast is brought to you by the Signpost End Ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostn.org. So, welcome to the back porch, everyone. Uh, today I'm really excited about who I have with me to talk to. Uh, she's someone special to me Rosemary Jackson, who is my Tanta Honey. We know her personally, she's my wife's aunt. And uh, she's been a real staple in our lives, both spiritually and just as a a great mentor and friend. Um, But she's here today because she is a recently retired licensed independent clinical social worker. And she's been working in that field for a long time, 1974, and started her own practice in 2008, uh, educated at Fordham University and Philadelphia Bible Biblical University. She even has experience in the Salvation Army for nine years. She's been married for 40 years, has six children, and I believe you said 14 grandchildren. Indeed. <laughs> and um, Tanta Honey, which I'm going to ta- call you that throughout. You told me just before we started that after you retired, you have now begun uh, working as an integration facilitator.
1: That's a name I made up. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, can you can you take a minute? to explain what that is?
1: Certainly. It is my attempt to be of service to those who are looking to integrate the Christian reality with their everyday life. It's different than counseling, than therapeutic counseling, because the basis and the goal is different. So I no longer have to follow somebody else's rules.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Thank you. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about both because your education, your experience gives you a whole lot of insight into this, but also because just in my conversations with you personally, I've, I've always understood and heard you talk about this kind of thing with such wisdom and grace. So I really wanted to get you uh, to talk publicly about it for, for my sake, but it's the questions <laughs> surrounding feelings and God and So I had a list of questions for you and and you gave me the one you really wanted to start with. So I'm going to start there and, and see why that's so interesting. And that's the place you wanted to start. It's not the place I would have started, but the question is, how do you feel about God? This has been in my life, my own life, the journey I've been on. So in shifting into this new ministry and in doing spiritual direction, the importance of how someone feels about God and how God feels about us has just become so obvious to me. Like it's, that is almost the most important question you can ask someone, in my opinion. You said you've never been asked that question. So how do you feel about God?
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, when I actually listened to the question, I was so surprised that I have never been asked that question, nor had I ever considered it Mm. in those words. Um, So... my my real response is I feel safe and known in God. That's how I feel about him. My feeling is safety and knowledge in him. And then I looked at the word feeling and what does it mean? And where does it come from? Feelings are something that is applied to an emotion. An emotion happens through an event that causes neurotransmitters and hormones in our brain to activate. It's an instantaneous response. Our feelings are that those feelings, those thoughts that we apply to the emotion. And then we we describe the feeling, but between the emotion and the feeling, there's a whole category in between that we overlook. And it's called thought, because thought influences every emotion that leads to the feeling that we have. Those thoughts are unconscious. They are pervasive. They affect every sense that we have in responding to an event. So the beauty of that is that feelings don't have to be changed Or manipulated by themselves, we look at the thought behind the feeling. And in clarifying our thoughts, the feelings are more true
0: to the moment. Let me just try to make sure I understand. The way you're talking about an emotion is more of a it's a physical response. It's a a hard wire. Yeah. So something happens, or I don't know. But point is, I have a physical experience that is my emotion. Yes. And feeling is the sense making of it. It's what I'm, it's how I make sense of the emotion. Yes. And so that, that involves the assumptions I have, the unconscious thoughts that I, the stuff that I've already kind of put in places like,
1: yes, Um, I have, I have an example that I use a lot um, real quickly um, to try to put it in perspective. There is this very extremely shy woman who moves to a new town and she has always felt uh, worthless and unknown. And she wants to go to church. And she goes to this church on Sunday morning. And the pastor welcomes her and says, so good to see you. And so she feels a little relieved. And I'll try next Sunday. So she goes next Sunday. And he sees her and he recognizes her. And he says, oh, welcome back. It's so good to see you. And finally, she breathes a sigh of relief and says, OK, this is going to be safe. The third Sunday, she comes back. She comes back full of anticipation of being welcomed. With a smile on her face, and he walks right by her, doesn't acknowledge her, doesn't see her, and she feels ashamed because she was foolish to think that she was worth remembering. Mm. And she walks into the part into the uh, narthex, and and then she hears people talking about that the pastor's sixteen-year-old daughter was just involved in a fatal car accident. Now, how does she feel? Her feelings of shame, her feelings of rejection are totally gone. She now is at peace and goes in and prays for the pastor's family. The thing that changed, it wasn't how she anticipated the meeting. I mean, that changed that was the same. But what changed is the knowledge that surrounded the behavior. When, when we get knowledge it changes how we feel about the exact same situation that terrified us before
0: so let me go back to your answer to the question of how you feel about god then so you feel safe and known yes i can imagine a reaction like this that's good for you how nice yes <laughs> i don't yes and there's A lot of guilt around that i don't Mm. i'd like to i want to i don't know how to get there and it sucks that i can't and i should oh man so (laughs) i guess take that whichever direction you want to go how did you get to that place is one question somebody might ask but i'm not sure at this stage that's really the question we should answer yet but (laughs) because i just i've talked to a lot of people who say I really wanna feel safe and known with God, but I don't and I feel bad about it.
1: Um, You've got two things that I wanna respond to first. One is I keep swearing that I'm going to have a company print up uh, bumper stickers that say, don't should on me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, talking about shackles. Um, The other thing is you feel guilt about something because you don't love him enough or or whatever. Okay, just real for a real short thing, there's good guilt and there's bad guilt. Okay. Guilt is is great when it's from the Lord. And that's called our conscience, which all of us have. But God's guilt always points to some specific sin. Therefore, we look at the sin and he allows us to repent. He says, I forgive you and we keep on trucking. So it's very purposeful, very specific, very direct. Generalized guilt, meaning I wake up and I say, or whatever, I can't do anything right. I never can succeed. I always screw up. This generalized feeling of despair, and you feel guilty about it, that's straight from the pit. That's Satan hating humanity, wanting us to drown. In sorrow and devastation so when you look when you anyone starts to feel guilt first ask yourself is this good guilt or bad guilt is this specific or generalized if it's specific you ask the lord to identify it for you and to heal you if it's generalized you tell him to take a hike not on my watch we're not going down that path
0: yeah So the thing that seems to me like to be the burning question for me is how does God feel about me? Like, that's what would make me feel safe around him. That's what would make me feel loved.
1: Right. We have a basic assumption. Every believer has a basic assumption that they have to make. And that is, if you're going to say you believe in God, and I'm talking the triune God, then we have to believe that he's real. (laughs) He is a real person, three persons. He is a real being, a real entity. And scripture says God is love. That's his name. That's his character. That's the go to. Anytime we don't understand anything, anytime we're searching or hurting, the bottom line has do I believe that God is love? If he is love, then everything he tells us is based in love. And the tri the triune God. I don't know if this sounds. I don't want it to sound sacrilegious, but <laughs> one of the the visuals I use it for explaining the Trinity is um, otters. Okay. Yeah. Sea otters. Um, they are they are absolutely amazing. They all they live in community. They gallop and, and whatever in the waves, they they tumble around each other in just joy, in joy for being with each other. And that's how I see the Trinity, <laughs> the three persons of the Trinity, loving and delighting each other. Love. If we say God is love, love is always outward directed. So when we say that God is love, we say that God loves the son and the son loves the father. And the father loves the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit loves the son and the son loves the Holy Spirit. And what you get is this dynamo of love and delight. And that's who he is. And God calls us into that love. He says, come on in the water's fine. (laughs) Gamble with us. That's what he offers. Not approval, not acceptance, no, come be alive with me. That's the other definition of holy, you know. When it says be holy, even as I am holy, one of the one of the definitions is set apart. The other definition is to be totally alive. Don't we want to be totally alive with him? So that's what he's calling us into. So as long as we put the focus on ourselves, we're not going to get there. The focus has to be on who is God. And why why does he want me? And that's the, really the other question you were raising is, why does he want me? Because he's a foolish and wonderful God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So answer that question. Like, unpack that. What, like, why does he want you?
1: <laughs> I had, had asked that question many times. Um, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and no one is made like me. There is no other creature on this earth ever has been made that's me. I know because Scripture says that He has desired me from from eternity. He's known me before I was even formed in my mother's womb, and that I'm not a mistake. None of us are mistakes. We were created for on, on purpose for a purpose. But too too often we get focused on what's the purpose He has for me, yeah. <laughs> rather than. You're made on purpose. I, I wanted you to exist. All right, that's that's this trying God telling me he wanted me to exist, not just humankind. He's not just saving humankind, he's saving me. What the heck? Um, how do I believe that? Why do I believe that I'm safe and loved? And it's because of the knowledge. And that's where we go back to that emotion, knowledge and feeling. My feeling is based on the knowledge of God not on the knowledge of myself. I look at myself, as a matter of fact, during this Lenten season, I foolishly prayed, Lord, show me my sin. So he, he slightly lifted up the cover of the putrid smell made me want to vomit. And he said, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. I've already covered it with my blood. It's covered, you're covered. You don't need to go back. I don't even remember it anymore. So like David, my sin is always before me. Do I know that I'm dust? Of course. But you know what? God knows that I'm dust. He says, I remembered what you are. You know, why did you think you were anything else? Why did you think you could prove yourself to me? You never can. I've had clients come in and say, oh, I feel so, so um, alienated from God. Um, I just can't get it right. I always fail. And I say, okay, that's good. (laughs) I'm glad you realize that because we cannot in ourselves please God.
0: Well, that just reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. The quote was just, you know, remember that you're dust and that dust was never meant to carry the weight of the world. And I think, kind of, to modify that, what I'm hearing you say is something more like remember that you're dust and be thankful that God remembers that you're dust too, and he doesn't expect you to carry the weight of making him love you.
1: Amen. Yes. Yes. Well, that's over and over in scripture, you know, dead people can't choose Christ. And he came to us while we were dead in
0: our sin. So a lot of people hear that. Okay. So I think that like the shift that I'm making in my mind right now is something like, I often hear, remember that you're dusted, you can't do anything as, as just being like, God is really happy to be able to kind of grind his thumb into you. Do you know what I mean? Like, ah, you're dust. And and as long as that's the thinking I have about who God is, then that statement feels very horrible.
1: Yes. Well, because we don't leave it there. What happens is we say to ourselves, therefore, I will put on the armor of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. I'll lift up the (laughs) I'll take up my my whatever's and I'll go fight the fight. And who I see is David trying on Saul's armor <laughs> that he's going to go out fight the uh, the Philistine and he can't even move because the armor is too big or not his, you know, and I see this little kid tripping and falling and then getting upset because he can't be the warrior he was supposed to be. He wasn't supposed to be that warrior. He was supposed to just be him. Mm -hmm. And when he says to the dust, you are, that's not the end of the story. Yes. And he creates life out of dust and he created your special life out of the dust of his nostrils for you in particular.
0: There's a kind of, there's a kind of, if I can shift to seeing God as he really is, as you said, right? God is love. Here's the otters dancing around in the water. And they're saying, you know, he is saying, look, your dust, you don't, yeah, there's bad stuff here, but you don't need to, you don't need to build yourself up into this nice, beautiful statue that can survive the water. I'll take care of that. You're not, that's not your responsibility. You accept that you're dust and come on in. It's fine.
1: Exactly. And I think part of that is our sinful nature, not wanting to admit our own sinfulness for some, some of us drown in the concept of our own sin. The image that came to mind was that scripture says that when we believe in Christ, that God the Father will make his home with us and will live with us, and we will make our home with, we will make our home with him. And I all I got was the image of a home in the summertime. There's coffee brewing, and you can smell the aroma out the door. And God is preparing the coffee for us. He is home. We're outside on the porch, on the other side of the screen, wondering if we're clean enough. Was it a real invitation? Maybe I should turn before he sees me. He's saying, I am home. Come home to me. Come home to the smell of the coffee. Come home to my presence. I hear the game uh, hide and seek. Ali Ali, come free. You know, when you come running in, you don't care if there's dirt on your shoes, if there's mud on your face. You just come home. And that's what he calls us to. With nothing in my hands, I bring simply to the cross I cling. And the letting go is the hardest part for so many, because we've been taught to bring things, be things, other than what our whole natures are saying. That's a lie. And we know it's a lie. (laughs) He's saying, I know. (laughs) I know that that's a lie. Come, come drink with me and have the spirit of truth.
0: So I'm I'm feeling for some, some of the folks that I know who at this stage of the conversation just feel super uncomfortable. Okay. Again, it's like, that all sounds really good, but how do I go from, I want to believe that what you're saying is true. I want to come in. I want to actually just trust that God doesn't care that I have dirt on my shoes. How How do I get there?
1: Okay. All right. First of all, you have to give yourself a dope slap.
0: (laughs) What do you mean? Okay. What do you mean?
1: I mean, you slap yourself up the side of the head saying, what is real here? Mm. Are you just meandering in your own thoughts or what is real? And either God is real, back to what we said before, or he's just a liar. Well, you know what? I'm not strong enough to call God a liar. I can't do that. I have to believe that he tells the truth. And how do you do that? It's by reading the word. The the Holy Spirit teaches us moment by moment. He conforms us into his own image. It's his work. I I tell my, my clients, it's like your daily intravenous injection. You have to have it to survive. Do you like to breathe? You know, inhale. Do you want to live? Bring in the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you for those who who have a hard time with that that's saying oh but i don't feel that way well then i i tell you go back to the thoughts behind it why don't you feel that way what were you told what did you think who do you think christ is what were you told we you, you know how how you grew up or how people are influencing you even now are you hearing what's true hmm. That's how you change the feeling. You change the feeling by changing the thought. You gain the thought by knowledge. And the knowledge comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God.
0: Would you even say that that you change the thought by knowledge and knowledge comes, like, I want to say that the knowledge comes by experience. And what I mean by that is, I'm going to set aside reading the word for a minute because there's a trick tricky thing that I want to talk about there. But one of the things you said that just really resonated with me, it's like, what have you been taught and what are you hearing even now? Right? Because there's, in my experience so far, it seems like I can't trust God. I can't trust that I can come in off the porch that he's at, but he's brewing the coffee for me. How do I do that? Well, it's really hard when what you're doing is standing around a bunch of other people telling you constantly every Sunday that God is a divine tax accountant and really does want you to have all your books in order before you walk in. And that gets really confusing. And so I'm saying, come in off the porch. God loves you and doesn't care about whether you've got your stuff in order when everybody else in your life is saying he does. Or when you're standing on the porch over in the corner, totally unwilling to listen to anybody at all, period, and just sort of imagining that God is however you think he is. So there's like, in both of those cases, the knowledge that would change my feeling about God comes from having the experience with somebody who actually treats me that way, who says, no, it's fine. I'll come stand with you. Or let me talk to you about who God really is. Yes. But there's that kind of magic of being willing to listen. Yeah. The only reason I think that like reading the word is a little tricky there is because again, in my experience, as people read the word, if all I've ever heard my entire life is God is a tax accountant and in some sense, it's really hard to, to read scripture with and not see that.
1: You are so right. And I missed that. I apologize because that's what I see with so many of my clients. When I have shared that in the past and I forgot until this very moment that when they read the word, they feel condemned, not loved.
0: Or confused.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely Right. Um, It was astonishing to me when I first heard that, (laughs) Um, by the way. (laughs) Uh, It was such a reality wake up. So this goes, this points to paying attention, as you referred to it, to what you've been taught by others. Oftentimes, that's our parents first, and then our church community second. The damage that has been done to precious, beloved believers through false teaching is, I don't know how God's heart stands it, but so we look, you have to look at it. You have to be willing to look at it. You said, yeah, I don't even want to hear about it. Well, you don't want to hear about his love. Okay. That's fine. Let's look at your teaching. (laughs) What, what do you believe? What have you been taught? Have you been taught that you have to perform up to certain expectations before you're accepted and before you're acceptable? Have you been taught? Did you give it your best shot? Did you really mean it? Well, no. (laughs) But we hear those things and we have to look at them and identify them. And where did we get them from? And this is, I don't know, this is going to go way off topic for a second, but it's hugely important. Um, Our parents are the first ones that teach us these things. We have to look at our parents as sinful human beings Mm. who have sinned against us and have not been the parent that God intended us to be, no matter how holy and righteous they may appear to be. Because we're sinful beings and we sin against each other all the time, so of course they're going to sin against us. With manipulative and abusive parents, we have to look at them and, it's going to sound weird, we have to put them to death. We have to take our concept that we have to have their approval in order to succeed or be whole. They will never be that parent. That expectation will never be realized. Accept that, grieve it, grieve it, respect that grief. There's deep sorrow there. But only by grieving the death of the image can you begin to learn the life of the person the image gets in the way you have to grieve it and then look at them as another created human being who's been wounded just as we have and then you can forgive them to say you forgive someone before those steps is us putting band-aids on things trying to make it better kids always want to make it better for their parents that's not our job it's jesus job um, but to grieve their death, to, to forgive them, and then and then to learn to love them as separate people, not as your mom and dad, but as separate human beings who are going to live throughout eternity. But you have to let that image go. That's a false. What you've learned from that is false teachings. Is um, well, it's the results of sin is death.
0: I, i've got a lot of thoughts going through my mind but i sense from myself and from many others that okay because what you're what you're talking about is a long slow process that requires some patience
1: i've got a shortcut
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> wait hold on a second let me let me just think this through for a second because there's a i perceive in myself and in others this like desire for quick fix, which gets translated in, I think without much recognition into a kind of willpower mechanism, right? Like I should just be able to forgive my mom and dad. I should just be able to get over the false teaching and I should just believe. And it's like, that's the part where I think some of the selfishness moves in where I'm like, well, Lord, how that hasn't happened. So I'm pissed. <laughs> 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 and what I'm what I'm hearing you say, and you said you have a shortcut. I want to hear that. But what I'm hearing you say is there's a there's a there's an invitation to a slower and gentler process here, one where you accept that you've got pain and grief that you can't just get over immediately by simple act of willpower and then suddenly feel better about God, but it does require both gentleness and patience with yourself. That I've got to work through some crap, and that is also gentleness gentleness and patience. For your parents or for your church community that was negative or whatever that that really taught you bad stuff i mean because you have to go through that process with that too you got to grieve that and forgive that and (laughs) see them as fallen separate people and not your authorities and so this is like i I sort of want to just encourage people that it's it's okay that this conversation doesn't fix it for you
1: uh True. But I, when I said a shortcut, I really mean this too.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Amen.
1: Um, To to wait to think you have to wait until we understand everything that was done to us and motivations and, and picking it apart, you know, a stitch by stitch would be exhausting and um, no one should, could do that. What I encourage people to do. And remember, this is not throwing your parents under the bus. You're not saying they are horrific because you're saying, who are they really? And what have they told me? What did I hear? And maybe it wasn't even what they said, but it's what you perceive to be true. You know, you never know for sure. The shortcut is you write each of them a letter. You never mail it. You write each of them a letter from your heart, your gut, all your sorrow and your anger. Where the heck were you? I needed you at that moment. Yes, you were thinking of this or doing that. I don't care. I needed you. Where were you? So the with the anger and the and the sorrow and the grief, why why did you always put that expectation in front of me? Was that your own expectation for yourself and you just slapped it on me? I'm suffocating with that. So being very real, God already knows what's in your heart and mind. So anything you write, he already knows it. You've got to know it. You've got to get it out of your brain, through your hand and onto paper. So you write to each of them your grievances and your sorrows, and you see them through eyes of truth. By seeing through eyes of truth you will then be able to see them through eyes of love. But for truth, for, you write the letter, you set it aside, let the Holy Spirit does do his work. And he will bring to bring to mind this, if there are specific items that need to be forgiven, that need to be even addressed maybe with your parent, maybe not. This is not dumping all your stuff on them. This is you teaching yourself to look at what's true because we try to defend our parents. We explain, we rationalize. You know, they didn't mean it. And that all that may be true, but the result is A cause B.
0: Right. Yeah, it may be true that they they had good reason for why they, or I perceived it incorrectly, but it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's also true that you feel this way about it. It's yes. also true that it had this impact on you. It's also true that you're hurt. Absolutely. And that that part of the truth has to be brought into my knowledge as well. Yes. Yeah. And maybe we've already maybe you've already answered this, but I'd like to ask it to you and see if there's a more concise or whatever or a way that you'd wrap it up in this sense. But what what advice do you give people? who say, I'm struggling, I don't think God loves me, or I don't think God could love me?
1: Well, you give yourself the dope flap, and you say, one, God is real, two, God is love. So whatever he says must be true, and I must be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you get your eyes off yourself, and onto the clothing that Christ has clothed us in, which is his righteousness. Eyes out off of self. Eyes Here I am, a therapist. I believe in introspection. I believe in all this, but we've got, love isn't about us. It's about the other. Get our eyes off ourselves and onto the other, which is why, I mean, God, Christ encapsulates it by saying, you know, first love
0: the Lord your God, then love your neighbor means away from us. He never says now love yourself. So this reminds me of a conversation leave and I were having just the other day. We were kind of laughing about how laughing in like a dark way (laughs) about how we're, we've been married almost 20 years now and uh, how easy it's gotten to think. Oh, sure. He says he loves me, but I really know that, that, you know, you, you, this whole narrative about how it's not really true. I'm not good enough. There's, you know, he knows all my Stuff I don't like about myself. And so I have this whole like projection into her mind, or she has a projection into my mind of how my love is really kind of mercenary because I really don't like her. Right. But that's to me, that's the image I have of getting my eyes off myself. Like I can sit around and think, I've hurt leave. I've done, there's a lot of stuff about me that is really gross and I don't like. And I can really easily project all that into her mind and say, she's just kind of putting up with me. Cause that's what I'd do with me. Yes. <laughs> if you know, and and really frankly, I wouldn't even really put up with me. I'd pretty much be looking for a way out. Right. Um. But then she comes around and says, "No, I love you." And my opportunity there is to actually look at what she says and match it with what she does. I can actually look at that and instead of then reframing it in terms of, "Well, that can't be real," because I know the truth about me, I can just refuse the. I can just say, no, I'm going to stop with what she said and what she did and look at it and contemplate it and be with it and notice it and appreciate it. And that's like the eyes off of me. It's like, no, I'm actually looking at who she is and what she's doing. Or in this case, what Jesus is and what he's doing.
1: Yes. Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly it. I can either trust what he's saying or not.
0: Yeah. To me, this is exactly the path of why I'm doing what I'm doing now, because the path that Jesus took me on was. I mean, honestly, Tanta, honey, it was like a road to Damascus moment <laughs> where Jesus kind of almost literally grabbed a hold of me and said, The problem is not that you don't have the right insights about me. And I think this is the first time I've said it this way, but the problem is you're not spending time watching me. Do you know what I mean? Like, here's the invitation shut up. Stop, stop thinking so much and actually watch what I'm doing. Like pay attention to my presence. Pay attention to me loving you. Pay attention to what I'm saying in the word. And I think this is the key for me. It's not learn some lessons from what you're watching and hearing. It's just watch and hear.
1: Yes, that's exactly what Jesus said when he says, if you don't believe me, at least believe my miracles. If you don't believe what I say, at least believe what I do.
0: Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's the theological kicker for you, right? It's like if you don't believe what I say, if you don't believe when I say I love you because it's just words. That's fine. Watch me die, watch me rise, watch me come and get you. You know, I mean, it's it's not just words.
1: Yeah. It it's a yielding. See, one of the things that we hold on to and this is probably way off, we hold on to this sorrowful concept of ourself because it's familiar mm. and in a way it's safe. And and it really is sin because it's refusing to believe what the Lord says. And what I see it is this sin of of, of not looking at Christ and looking at ourselves. I see it as a little kitten on our lap, and we like to pet it. And no, it's it's not big enough to harm me, not really. I'm still a quote unquote good Christian or whatever, but we feed it and we water it through so much focus on I'm such a bad person. And all of that is betraying, is not believing Jesus.
0: Yeah. Um, I've been kind of reading and delving into some of the desert fathers teachings on prayer. And one of the things they talk about is that the way Satan attacks us Is on the level of our thinking. And so if you take the cat image, it's like he keeps our attention focused on the cat and we're happy to do that. But then they also notice that one of the ways he attacks us is as soon as we realize that our attention is constantly on us, he's really happy with that too, as long as then our attention is constantly on the fact that our attention is constantly on us. Yes. You know, like. He doesn't care. You can think po- pious, theologically happy, good thoughts all day long. Yes. As long as you're just completely absorbed in your thoughts and not stopping and paying attention to Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and so their method of dealing with it was like, count the evil thoughts. I'm a horrible sinner. Nobody loves me. I'm horrible, blah, blah, blah. Con- that self-absorption thoughts and the guilty thoughts about your self-absorption on the same level. Ignore them all. Yes. For, leave them all behind and say, replace them with thoughts. Jesus is Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, yes. have mercy on me. Or Jesus Christ, son of God, you love me. And it's just like, it's like, don't argue with any of the thoughts, good or bad.
1: That's right. I tell them, I tell my clients to take those thoughts, write them on sheets of paper, if they're specific and and tack them or tape them to the foot of the crucifix in their house mm. to put them where they belong Mm-hmm. At his feet, they're covered, but mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. He loves ourself, and Satan loves our self indulgence, one way or the other. And I've seen some pious self indulgence.
0: Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. It's like, and it doesn't really matter. It's in the worlds that I run in, the very true and correct teaching that we focus too much on ourselves has become in some ways satanically weaponized yes because that's just an because now I'm just absorbed with the fact that I'm self-absorbed yes and and then the teaching that I should focus on Jesus becomes a, a law too heavy for anyone to bear
1: yes so you take that cat that little kitten you say scoot you shove it off your your lap
0: and you turn to the lover of your soul and say oh. Here it is. And another word for that, another word for turning to the lover of your soul and saying all right is just prayer. Yes. Yes. Which also gets turned into all kinds of stuff that it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I'm sure. Okay. Let me let me ask you this. This is the I always want to ask this question which is just Is there something I should have asked you that I didn't, something that you want to say that I just, you didn't get the space because I talked too
1: much? No, I just wish this interview could be longer. I was kind of nervous about it at first, (laughs) but I wish it could be longer because what you're saying is hitting such a crucial thing that I see in my clients, this concept of not good enough and and I'm going to try to get myself better. And I know I should be feeling this way, but I don't. I see that it's pervasive throughout the church family because we've accepted the lie that it's all about us. But the only ever time it's all about us is when it's from God's heart. That's when it's all about us. If it's about us, it's got to be all about Him.
0: Well, for now, let's put a pin in it. Folks that are listening, thank you for being a part of this. May the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostin.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpostin is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org donate.